Hello, what's up? Good day, and welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena. I'm one of your hosts, Arjuna. I am joined today, as per usual, with Covert Go Blue, the one and the only one and best of one. One, 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 CGB, one, one, best of one. How are you doing, CGB? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to clarify that there are many, many, many people who play best of one. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the only person playing the format, no matter uh, what the tryhards want to accuse me of. But uh, I am, being the one in best of one is about rising above uh, above the noise, above the crowd, standing alone. That, that's what it's about. But there are many. If, if, if I were the one one in best of one, it would be much less worthy of celebration would kind of take the whole character into a lonely direction you know what i mean e pluribus unum that's that's cgb right there (laughs) but uh yes hello and you know we are just like recovering um i think is the correct term from the thanksgiving holiday here in the united states where typically vast quantities of food are consumed a lot of streamers, I think, probably haven't taken some time off this week, but I definitely have, and it's been pretty wonderful. Just want to give you a quick overview of this episode. We have the uh, Zendikar Rising... What, what's the official name of it? The Zendikar Rising Special Championship. Zendikar Rising Players Pro Tour Mythic Invitational Standard Historic Mixed Format World Championship. Wow. <laughs> no, it's uh, the Zendikar Rising champ. <laughs> the, That's it. The Mythic Special Pro Players Pro Player Zendikar Championship, which is coming up uh, basically the, the weekend after you listen to this. So... We're going to be talking about what our expected metagames are in both formats, Historic and Standard. So that's going to be the majority of the discussion this week. Before we get to that, just, you know, like a little personal check-in. How was your holiday, CGB? I had a really good Thanksgiving. Thanks for asking. I, My wife and I stayed home. And now that... I know that a lot of people are like, wow, that's, that's, your restraint is incredible. Um, that That's not it at all. We've been waiting to do this for years. We've lived in our house uh, where we live now in northern Michigan for eight years. We have never, ever had Thanksgiving dinner in our own home. Not once. Not the year we moved in. Not Nope. Not even. You know why? Because we are the weirdos in the family without kids. And when you have kids, you cannot, like, like, like brothers and sisters with children, you cannot get away with, hey, why don't you guys travel and come see us? Yeah. <laughs> Never yeah. going to happen. Why don't you buy Never. double the plane tickets and go to all the hassle to fly out to my house? Yeah, makes it's, sense. It, for a lot of them, it's, just, it's a drive, too, but it's never going to happen. They, if, 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 they, if we don't have kids and they have kids, we go to them. End of story. Plus the parents... You know, the parents still want that beautiful Thanksgiving memory of having their children come visit them on Thanksgiving. So there's a tug of war between which sibling had the most recent child and which parents we, did, we didn't go see last year, you know. And so we have never, not once, stayed home, had Thanksgiving in our own house, made the food we want to make, uh, which isn't as traditional for Thanksgiving 
food. For example, uh, my wife asked what I wanted. I was like, I want little smoky sausages wrapped in real thick cut bacon just dumped in brown sugar. And she's like, you got it. And I'm like, yeah. And and my wife hates stuffing, and I don't like stuffing either. So she filled her turkey with bread pudding. Bread pudding? Bread pudding. Now, when I think about bread pudding, I'm thinking of like that real sweet dessert. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing mm-hmm. this is something a little different, or no? No, not really. No, it was... Okay, so it's <laughs> a turkey just, it's stuffed with pudding. dessert. That's just all, yes. <laughs> a full-course meal in one dish. I love it. <laughs> yep, yep, just stuffed with apples and, oh, yeah, cinnamon, and, oh, my goodness. It was amazing, and it worked out. You know, she couldn't even find... She even looked online for this and was like, nobody's ever done this before. It could go terribly wrong, but it went terribly right. Yeah, it, I mean, it sounds like two delicious things put together, so, mm-hmm. you know... Unless something does actually go wrong, that's usually a recipe for good things. I I also streamed. I streamed on Thanksgiving, which is the first time I've ever done that. And it was actually really fun. Uh, You know, spent it with my streaming community family instead of the usual place. And people were very grateful to have something to watch. My my stream was labeled the football and turkey alternative. And it, uh, it went very well. It was a good show. That's awesome. Awesome. And, And you were, of course, streaming a food deck. Yes, yes. I, I went on an absolute um, rampage with mono green food, just feasting, troll, kinging everything in sight. Just got into like top 200 mythic before the end of it. It was, it was a good run. Love it. Just stacking up that bread pudding. Well, I think what I gathered from this CGB is that the covert go couple is deciding to go tall instead of wide with, uh, with Thanksgiving <laughs> this year. <laughs> so... <laughs> so good good on you love it thanks how about you man what did you do yeah my thanksgiving i live in a house with some housemates and we were trying to be as responsible as possible so it was just us just the fam and i had one of the most amazing thanksgiving meals of my life i live with a number of people who are surprisingly good at cooking things it always blows my mind because I'm not, even when I'm trying to be, I'm, my food's just like so-so, whatever. So I was tasked with the roast vegetables, which are kind of hard to mess up. But yeah, I it was a, a culinary experience. Uh, one of my housemates is a hunter, and so he's like super into, you know, like high-quality meat. And so we had venison instead of turkey. My first time ever eating venison, and I really liked it. It's like really a very mild and somewhat gamey meat but feels very clean and didn't put me into a food coma the way other red meat usually does. Yep. So that was really nice and uh, had a had a deer heart gravy, which was also the most Ooh. amazing gravy I've ever eaten in my life. So it was like a real kind of, you know, I live in Oregon and it was definitely a real kind of like Oregon organic country hippie kind of a meal, just like really high quality food, cranberry sauce made from scratch. Yeah, it was one of the finer meals I've ever eaten, and I had a wonderful time. And I basically just CTFO'd and did hardly anything. So, (laughs) yeah, it it was a good time. This Thanksgiving holiday has some uh, troubling, troubling genesis as far as where it comes from. But when you celebrate it with your friends in style, it can be very nice indeed. 
Definitely agree. Yeah. So uh, cool. All right. Well, let's dive into our discussion about magic because that is definitely what you guys came here to talk uh, to listen to this week. And so we're going to start off with uh, what I hope will be a just a brief overview of of what I slash we expect the historic meta game to look like going into this tournament, and then we'll go into a little bit more detail about standard and talk about what's happening there. And to give people a maybe maybe we're giving them a peek behind the curtain, but in order to divvy up podcast responsibilities, we put Arjuna in charge of pulling up historic decks and finding talking points, and I'll be handling the standard talking points. So we'll just be tossing it back and forth here. Excellent. So um, one of the main source materials that I'm looking at here for our historic metagame is the most recent large-scale uh, historic tournament which happened, which was the Kaldheim Championship Qualifier on the SCG Tour. So this was a 5k tournament, not like a massive, massive prize pool, but, you know, definitely substantial enough to uh, give us some kind of an idea. And so one of the things that I, I like the most in looking at the results of this tournament is that it's just a very, very diverse metagame. It's like I'm looking down the top eight here, and I see there might only be one deck with more than one copy in the top eight, and that's Rack Sack. So just like a very, very cool... I think, you know, Historic is just a really cool meta game right now. Uh, one of the reasons for that is that I think the general consensus is it just hasn't been solved. Um, I will say that it has been a difficult format to solve, which probably points towards it being a fairly good, diverse, and balanced format. I think if there was any one particular archetype that was super dominant, I think we'd probably know it by now. But I think Wizards has done a pretty good job of like banning the Omnaths of the world and, you know, banning the Wilderness Rex of the world and actually giving this format a chance to really, like, stretch its wings and, and be diverse and interesting. And so in that regard, I think it's actually, it's it's starting, at, you know, as, as time goes on, I think Historic is starting to look more and more like the modern format, uh, which it frequently gets compared to. And that's a good thing, because modern has been in a pretty good place for years, barring, you know, a few printings of ridiculous cards that went on to get banned. But apart from that, it has been this kind of format where like people play what they like and there are, you know, like even perhaps tens of decks that could spike a tournament or just like have a good weekend or get you really high on the mythic ladder. I don't know. That's just kind of my overview of historic before we dive into the specifics. Does that kind of track with you, CGB? I agree completely, and I think it's very interesting that we have a format that's this powerful, but bordering on balanced, in that as long as you pick one of the best, most powerful decks and prepare for the matchups you really want to win, you can probably succeed. Uh, and I maybe that's what we were supposed to have in Standard, although just even speculating about that, you know, before all the bands like Eldraine, Full Power Standard was supposed to just be OP at all times. But I, I, I don't know that we're pretty far from that. But it's amazing how it's actually working out for Historic. Yeah, it is. It really is. So let's get into the details here. Um, the first thing that I want to point out here is that the dust is somewhat settling on the Kaladesh release. And I think that we can all agree that Kaladesh has had ultimately a subtle effect on the historic format 
Um, it's definitely introduced some good cards such as Fatal Push, such as Bowmat Courier to the format, which are definitely doing work, definitely earning their keep, definitely being worthy of inclusion. And of course, the fast lands are showing up everywhere. So that's really, really wonderful. Um, but as, as far as like, you know, there haven't been any basically archetype shattering inclusions that anyone has really come up with yet in Historic. So if you were somewhat familiar with the format before, like for example, the previous massive championship that Seth Manfield took down, then you'll be fairly familiar with the way it's looking right now. There have been a few things that caught my eye as far as um, advancement in power level. One of them being that I think the Auras deck is now, you can make a good argument for that deck being a tier one deck in the format. I think in the past it was only really tier one and best of one, but a lot of people have been playing it lately and it's been holding up. Like for example, uh, Wenzel Krautman came in third place playing Azorius Auras, this SCG championship. And I just think that that is like something to note. Now, granted it was somewhat of a spike. I don't see if, as I'm going down the list here, I don't see another copy of that deck in the top 25. So, you know, maybe that was just, uh, Maybe that was just an anomaly, but I have heard various people such as, you know, Arjuna favorite Michael Jacob discussing that as like one of the four decks he's considering playing at the championship. Um, so I just think that's really cool. And let's just bring this one up. So we're going to start in, in number three, um, just because this seems like the most kind of outstanding archetype to me in the list. This deck is a Laris deck, basically opting to go blue-white instead of Ozov, the way a lot of people have been playing the deck lately. I've been hearing this rumblings of people saying that they think that the Azorius version is better than the Ozov version, which I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on. Dude, I was going to ask you. Okay, <laughs> right on. <laughs> well, let's just kind of take a quick look at the deck list here. So this is definitely a core Spirit Dancer deck. That's I th I'd say Laris and the Spirit Dancer are kind of the cards that are really bringing up the power level of this deck and making it basically a viable deck, regardless of which version you play. The supporting cast are uh, four Alcid of Life's Bounty. We've got three Selfless Savior, three Hushbringer main, which is interesting. I actually, I, I haven't, I've seen some Hushbringers in these lists, but three seems surprising to me. So that was definitely a, a metagame read there. Uh, two copies of Sram Senior Edificer, which looks like it could be the only Kaladesh card that's really making a big splash in this list, but an important card for sure. And then of course you have your suite of enchantments. So this this uh, person's running four ofs of all that glitters, Curious Obsession, and Cartouche of Solidarity. And then we have three ofs of Cartouche of Knowledge, Sentinel's Eyes, and Heliod's Punishment, uh, which I think is like an interesting draft card, <laughs> which <laughs> seems to be making its way into these lists. Uh, also running two copies of Karametra's Blessing. So I think that the, the general idea is that these decks really want to be drawing actually a billion cards. So like, whereas the Ozov version of the deck is drawing like just a million cards off of course Spirit Dancer and recurring with uh, Laris, this deck is like, no, a million cards isn't enough. We actually need a billion. So that's kind of my read on why these decks seem to be preferring the blue. Because I think in a vacuum, like, I think I'd rather be on the Thoughtseize end of the spectrum than the Spellpierce end of the spectrum if I'm playing a deck like this. So I have to imagine that 
these blue enchantments that are drawing you cards and maybe the ability to give your creatures flying uh, just what actually puts the Azorius version over the top of the Ozob version. Do you have any thoughts just looking at this list and thinking about that? It does become apparent the longer that you look at it that the white cards are what's really important. Yeah. And then when you think about your blue and black cards, they're definitely supporting cast. And when you think about, like we talked about last week, I think about the, how great Thoughtseize and Fatal Push are, well, that's in a vacuum. Like, like if you don't know what your opponents are doing, you can usually say that Thought Season Fatal Push are great. But maybe in a more targeted meta, not so much. Um, maybe what you really need to do is be evasive and close the game quickly instead of try to interact with one of their creatures or one of their cards in hand. A good example of this, I'd say, is probably Goblins, yeah. where how many times have we just seen Thought Seize your Muxus? They just tutor up another one with goblin matron and play it anyway fatal push your skirk prospector fine i'll play a wily goblin and i'll play a goblin chieftain and then i'm still going to play muxus on turn four anyway uh so maybe those one-off pieces of interaction aren't as good as just getting them dead or building a battle cruiser that they can't can't be chump blocked and that that that's I think that's where i'm going with the reasons that this is working without actually having played the matchups yeah Yep, it's a really good point. There's a few other things that I think bear discussion as well. Like, for example, um, this deck running two copies of Disdainful Stroke in the board, which I think can be an important spell against cards like Extinction Event, which um, the Ozov list probably has no way of dealing with. So, yeah, you can run, like, your Spell Pierce and your Extinction Event against cards like that, and that gives you a fairly good way to lock up a game that your opponent might just have no other way of dealing with your stuff. If you know, if you have like your Karametra's Blessing or your your Alcid of Life's Bounty out, and then you have like this counter spell backup, there might just literally be no way for your opponent to resolve an Ugin or to do anything that they that would ordinarily be really good at shutting you down. So I think that's really cool. And Thoughtseize, as good as it is, it can't protect you from the top of your opponent's deck. It also can't protect you from your opponent having two copies of whatever it is you're trying to remove. So I like it, and I do like the evasion as well. Like, I, I have frequently seen this deck run into problems where, you know, maybe you assemble your massive battle cruiser creature, but if it doesn't have flying and your opponent has, like, a Krenko, say, they could just churn out a bunch of chump blockers, right? And if you're not having flying, then, you know, maybe you're gaining life, maybe you're doing this stuff, but you're not really getting very far, you're not really necessarily closing the game. So I do like just being able to, like, slap some flying on your creature and just get it through you know i do i am concerned that blue white okay we don't have a fast land we don't have a pathway and i'm looking at the mana base and we have 10 sources of blue mana uh total i i stuff like that yeah. just stands out as risky but and, and in a long tournament can bite you and black white doesn't have those same problems but just something to keep an eye on, a, a kind of a downside. No, you're totally right. I think the mana is absolutely the worst part of this deck, and you hit the nail on the head that recent cycles of mana have definitely hurt the allied color pairs and seem to be really favoring the enemy color pairs overall. Definitely a reason to consider running the other version of the deck. Now, let's talk about just, you know, some of what else that we're seeing here. So four color mid-range took down the tournament in the hands of Yuma Kozumi. This is a pretty typical Nissa, Krasis, 
big pig deck. So this isn't, I think, going to be a surprise to anyone who's been following the historic meta. So basically, the overview of this deck is that, you know, you run four Nissas, three Krasis, four Uros, two Yashans. You have the play set of Thought Seizes. You have a bunch of growth spirals and some interaction in the form of, you know, Fatal Push, Eliminate, and Ether Gust. And that's about it. You have another Yashan in the sideboard. You have some Gargaroths. You have some Narsets for your control matchups. You have Shock Typhoons for your control matchups. So this deck is, you know, it's basically in its old form with the inclusion of Fatal Push. I'm trying to see if there's any other Kaladesh cards that work their way in, but I, I think not. So yeah, I mean, this deck's just still very well positioned. It has a massive top end. It's able to make up for playing a lot of these one-for-one -one cards by, you know, just playing Krasis and Oro and Nissa, who just wins the game on her own. So, yeah, and, and then, of course, Yashan. Now, this is an interesting thing. There's been a lot of talking about how Yashan hasn't been showing up in Historic as much as it did in the past. So there was, like, this wave of Yashan decks, right? It was like, all of a sudden, Yashan was everywhere, shutting down all of these Jund and Rakdos decks. There's been, like, a move away from it. The, the four-color midrange deck is originally Sultai, right? And it's the best Uro, Nissa. Crisis and all the black interaction that you've come to hate, Gross Spiral. Just a collection of banned cards from Standard and <laughs> overpowered cards from Standard, plus Thoughtseize and now Fatal Push. But it had a terrible matchup, like just this Achilles heel that also happened to be among, if not the best deck in the format, and that was Jund Sacrifice. And the Jund Sacrifice deck, whether it's with Collected Company or with Trail of Crumbs, just kind of started taking over the format is one of the best matchups one of the best decks to play against goblins because mayhem devil uh and cat oven could just shred them and just tear all their goblins to pieces so even if you had a good muxus they just cat oven kill the hasty goblin and then tear your board down little by little or all at once heck if they have t like two devils so anyway in order to fix it it came a little bit out of left field. Jun Sacrifice was the most played deck at the Mythic Invitation. What was the name of the tournament? The last historic tournament. Yeah, I don't remember exactly. Okay, it was the, it was the, yeah, yeah. It was supposed to be a very big MPL level historic tournament. Yeah. Okay. And the most played deck was Jun Sacrifice, but the second most played deck was this Sultai deck that splashed for one card, the Yasharn, because. Yasharn on its own just shut down the sacrifice deck and to hear people like LSV talk about that tournament they said they just weren't prepared for that they didn't bring a lot of removal for the pig the thing is it was a really good move that a lot of people didn't see coming and then tada now that they know that it exists you can play cards that deal with it and Kaladesh did introduce a number of cards that help which Thoughtseize can take the Yasharn out and Chandra can take the Asharn out. Plus, you can run Maelstrom Pulse, Noxious Grasp, other various things. So Yasharn now is vulnerable. More people can kill it. So people try going back to Sultai. And you saw a lot less Yasharn over the last few weeks. And what they learned is that Sultai, even with Fatal Push, has the problem. Still, still gets roasted by Rakdos and Jun Sacrifice. So now you see them trying to work Yasharn back in for the absolute haymaker, shut down your deck card and it's a pretty easy splash all things considered because the mana is so good and you place so many lands in this deck so 
the Yasharn is back in the deck, but I don't think it's the game breaker it was in the past because now the Jun Sacrifice decks will be prepared. But I think it's important for Sultai to have something in that matchup, and this is the best thing they can have. That said, a lot of people seem to believe in Sultai. Like everywhere I look, I'm seeing it on ladder and I'm hearing people talk about it. But I, I feel like it's vulnerable. I feel like its big technology play has been exposed. And I don't know if Fatal Push is the huge upgrade for this deck that it is for other archetypes where it might be more effective. So I, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to... It's called four-color midrange. I call it Sultai, even yeah. if it does splash it's, the white it's card. It's Sultai Splash Pig is really what yeah. this deck is. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where this deck lands because it was the champion last time, right? Seth Manfield, I believe, won exactly. the whole thing with this. Yep. With this, so good. It's going to be interesting to see where the champ falls in this tournament. Definitely, yeah. I don't think it's clear cut by any means, but I do expect plenty of people to be showing up with either Sultai or four-color midrange. Oh. Oh, another thing about Sultai that's changed. The version that Seth and Brad Nelson ran in the last tournament had four Aethergust main. Oh, there yes. are more there are more decks now because that was the goblin. Right. That was the goblin Goblin's meta. Matter. Yep. There are more decks now that don't care about Aethergust. Yes. That is a blow, because we all know Nissa breeding pool Aethergust is a thing. Yeah. So you know, on on the topic of Yashan, though, I I think even if your opponent has answers to Yashan, I still think it's a fairly good include in this deck because like it gives you extra lands. You know, like Yashan's a good combination with Growth Spiral. It's a good combination with Oro. It's a good combination with Hydroid Crisis. So yeah, I I would definitely be leaning for color as opposed. Do you want to do you want to hear something stupid though? Yeah, lay just, it on me. It, it's totally off topic. Yeah, but it, you said Yasharn. So I just recorded this video today. Did you know that if you have a Yasharn in play, players can't pay life to cast spells, right? Yes. So did you know if you have a Terror of the Peaks in play, they have to pay life to target it? Oh, so they just can't target it. It's hex. Yeah, Terror of the Peaks just can't be targeted if you control a Yasharn. That's amazing. Wow. All right, Naya eat your heart out, man. That's that's what we're going with. <laughs> coming coming soon to YouTube, anyway. <laughs> it does actually hose the Auras deck surprisingly because you you can't talk, you can't sacrifice either the Doggo or the Alcid to do that thing, which is a pretty massive blow against the deck. So wow, you can't sack the bodyguards. Wow, yeah, didn't even exactly. think of that. So yeah, and and those decks basically run no or very little removal so once the ashan comes down it can just shut off like whole vectors of defense for that deck so just a really good thing to know like yashan hoses a lot of stuff it's not just these black based decks like yashan really does shut down a lot of different things so let's move on here you know two copies in the top eight with racto sacrifice so let's take a look at what these decks are doing and i think that the massive new tech that they got from kaladesh here is the Scrap Heap Scrounger. And now this is something that everyone's talking about. And I think this list that I'm looking at is, it's really interesting to me. This is a very, very different slant on the deck than I think that we've seen in the past, even though it's playing a lot of familiar cards that won't surprise anybody. But I'm just really curious to hear what you think about this deck list, CGB, because to me, this looks like an incredibly aggro version of this deck. So this is the number two Racto Sacrifice deck by Tristan Wild LaRue. 
And this is a Gigantha deck, which is interesting. Don't see many copies of that in Historic. Uh, maybe it's on the rise. But we're running four Cauldron Familiars, four Priests of Forgotten Gods, four Woe Striders, four Stitches Supplier. So definitely leaning into that, like milling your Scroungers, milling your Cauldron Familiars, that kind of thing. For Midnight Reaper, which I also thought was interesting, a card that we have kind of been a little bit more on the fringes in some of these lists, I think, but this list is really leaning into it. And then, of course, four copies of Scrap Heap Scrounger. It's running four Witches Oven, and, and the only other cards in the deck, apart from the creatures and the ovens, uh, in the main anyway, are just four Claim the Firstborn. So we're not seeing any main deck removal, we're not seeing any Fatal Pushes, any, anything like that, any Thought Seizers. So... I think this is really, really interesting, and it definitely seems to be like the new direction that Rakdos is going. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, CGB. Uh, so you said about everything. When, when you said, I'm curious to hear your thoughts the first time, I, I started collecting them, and you said everything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I just, I, I felt them just being taken out of my mouth. It's so, yeah, it's... Not very worried about interaction aside from claim. The Mayhem Devil, of course, and the Priest give you like these free removal spells built in, so you don't have to run Fatal Push. Uh, in fact, there's only one in the whole 75, one in the sideboard. Yeah. The this this list looks like in an open field where nobody is targeting it. It's probably very hard to stop and can put up a ton of damage, but it's got nothing on the pig like like if yasharn comes down this deck is like done in this yeah. incarnation they need the three noxious grasp out of the sideboard or the one fatal push that's that's all they've got you know no chandra's here um it, it's very limited in that regard that it's just ignoring the pig so it gives you an idea of where the meta has come and gone and people were on that card then off it and now it's probably coming back because this deck appears to be really good because man i do not want to play against mayhem devil with so many of the decks in the format right now goblins mono red aggro four color mid-range aside from drawing yasharn it just looks terrible auras like you just tear auras versus priest of forgotten gods is a joke uh, yeah so scrap heap scrounger i i think that's a big upgrade over dreadhorde butcher just well, that's what I was going to say. Butcher is the card that's missing from this list, right? Because I think if you're going aggro, that's typically a card that people have leaned on. So what you're saying is just that you couldn't make room for it once you included the Scrounger, and the Scrounger is just a better include. Is that kind of the conclusion? Oh, yeah. it, it's so much easier to cast with any creature in your graveyard, and there's four Stitcher suppliers. You, you just get it back. It gives you something to do with your priest mana. You can sacrifice it and get it back the same turn. You can claim it and just get in for three more damage, which I'm sure happens from time to time. Just always having something to sacrifice is pretty amazing for this deck, quite honestly. The, the cat was already pretty awesome. This is almost cat 2.0 as far as always having something to feed to feed the machine. Yeah. Oh, Phyrexian Tower. Phyrexian Tower Scrappy Scrounger, you just can't kill it. If you try to exile it, they just throw it into the tower. They can bring it back the same phase if they have another creature in the graveyard. That's insane. Yeah, and people have pointed out that, you know, some of the nice little synergies with the Scrounger are like, for example, sometimes you're, you struggle to find things to do with your priest mana. 
And having a scrounger in the yard is a perfect thing to to pump that priest mana into. So you can do, you know, you can have these cool sequences with the deck where you play a Stitcher's Supplier, you sack it to your tower, you play something else, you sack the stuff to the priest, then, you know, you exile that supplier from the from the graveyard or whatever it milled to get your scrounger back. So you can just have these massive mana turns kind of out of nowhere. You can go off on turns like three or four doing stuff like that and just really get a lot done. So much of this deck was legal and standard. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's really something. Oh my goodness. Historic. I want to know what you do with the Sky Sovereign console flagship in the sideboard. Is that for Nyssa? It could be Nyssa. Maybe it flies over Yashan. That was an interesting include to me as well. It could also be that maybe it dodges some typical removal or, or you know, dodges sweepers, something like that. But that does stand out to me as well. <laughs> it's really Oh my cool. gosh. So there are 16 three-power creatures to crew that sucker. I, that is amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's cool. I, I would love it if we got to see some Sky Sovereigns hit the battlefield in this tournament it was always so exciting to see this card in play in standard so yeah i mean proving that it can hold (laughs) hold its place in the sky in historic all right so let's move along here you know there's a lot of decks that are showing up which i don't think we need to go that deep on they're just existing decks you know mono red goblins is still here we'll just take a quick look at this fourth place list by 42 sparks this list, yeah, it basically just yeah, looks like a goblins. stock list. It's it's the Iron Crag feet version of the deck. It is running three Chandra Torch of Defiance in the sideboard, so that's you know the pickup. And that card is pretty amazing for what it does, both ramping to Muxus and killing off Yasharns that might stop you from using Skirk Prospectors and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it is a it's a very very good pickup for the deck. But I think my takeaway is that. You know, Goblins plus Chandra is just basically still a deck. What is Harold's Horn? Yeah, I know. That's an interesting one, isn't it? The first time I saw this card, I was watching one of the Japanese MPL players whose name is escaping me tragically because it makes me sound bad. But honestly, green hair and really funny guy. Really, really funny. But everything was in Japanese. So I can only go by the emotes. Uh, how funny it was uh but i saw this card and it's kind of crazy it's a three mana artifact when it enters the battlefield choose a creature type goblins and creature spells you cast of the chosen type cost one less okay nice at the beginning of your upkeep look at the top card of your library if it's a creature card of the chosen type you may reveal it and put it into your hand Mm mm-hmm so this must be that, in for control matchups, right? That's what I'm imagining. That's a card advantage machine is yeah. what that is. Yeah. I I feel like if you're in a matchup where you expect your opponent to be answering a bunch of your stuff, then I feel like Harold's Horn is a perfect way to be like, all right, <laughs> Ether Gust this, sucker. Yeah, I'll just draw another two goblins a turn. I If this was in one of the decks in the last... tournament i don't remember it yeah this one slipped under the radar for me i think this is some new tech in the deck and uh yeah i i can't comment as to you know i don't really have an opinion as to whether this is what we want to be doing but you know it seemed to be good enough to get this player into fourth place so definitely some tech to keep an eye on for the deck but i think that that's what we're looking at here with these goblins decks is that like you know like 90 percent of the cards are, are kind of locked in and then 
it's just kind of personal choice whether, like, for example, this decklist is running one chain whirler in the mail in the main. Um, it's running a crater maker, which is interesting. But, main deck hate for graph diggers cage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is yeah, that's something, right? But welcome I mean, to a historic. I mean, yeah, I mean, a number of people are maining graph diggers cage, so it's not really surprising when you think about it. But uh, yeah, so goblins is just, it's just a question of what you particularly prefer. But, you know, it's basically the same deck that we know and love. So I'm also seeing mono black gift here, which placed two places higher than Azorius gift in this tournament. So let's just quickly compare these two lists. This mono black list, just kind of reading down, it looks pretty stock from the last version of the deck. Picked up some fatal pushes from Kaladesh, but otherwise it seems eh, kind of about what we remember for this deck. I, I, I don't think we need to really go into detail on that. I'm a little bit more interested in this Azorius gift deck. This might be the real original list in this top eight to come out of Kaladesh. And by original, I mean, it's just playing a lot of Kaladesh cards. So this is a Minister of Inquiries deck, which is pretty cool, man. I'm I'm pretty stoked to see the Minister, into the minister. back in yeah, a constructed yeah. format, you know? This card's just sweet. It's one blue for a one, two. When it ETBs, it gives you two energy and you can pay an energy for target player to mill three cards. So you can start milling yourself as quickly as turn two. This is a Skyclave Apparition deck, so that's something interesting to note. Uh, Skyclave Apparition gets better when you can get it back from the graveyard as a hasty 4-4 to get a second bite at the apple, so that's pretty cool. Um, it's an Angel of Invention deck, so this card, of course, excellent with GPG. And uh, also a Hallowblade deck, which... Tell me about the Hallowblade. Why, why are we excited to play Hallowblade in this deck? Seasoned Hallowblade does allow you to get on the front foot, but it can also block, which is something that people forget compared to Adanto Vanguard. If, if you threaten to block something up to three toughness, discard a card to make it indestructible. The Hallowblade's not bad, and the fact that it can go either way is different compared to something like Scrap Heap's Grounder, Skyclave Shade. But in this deck, it's a discard it enabler, right? That's what I'm thinking. Yes, is that's what it really it's, is. It's it a no mana discard outlet. We've all been there, man. We've all been there with this deck. You keep a perfectly serviceable hand, and off the top of your deck, you draw like three God Pharaoh's gifts and no chart of courses to discard them. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, th this deck is an all-in combo thing. Like, if you look, it's it's kind of rare these days to see something with no pivot, but it really doesn't. The deck is either going to have a God Pharaoh's gift and reanimate some creatures and beat you to death with them, or it's going to do nothing. In, in the sideboard, the, the closest thing to the pivot is the one copy of Teferi, Hero of Dominaria. <laughs> so yeah, this is, a, this is all in, and sometimes your God Pharaoh's gifts are in the bottom 20 cards of your library, and you look like a really ugly mid-range deck. <laughs> yep. Yes, indeed. Now I'm looking at the sideboard of this deck. I'm seeing three authority of the consoles. That has to be for the Neostorm deck, right? Uh, that deck, where is it? Yeah, I know. It's, like nobody it's not, can even it's find not it. showing up, right? Were there any copies of it at all in this top 25? I'm not seeing them. 21, I think, was the highest, <laughs> highest placement okay. of that deck, yeah. Right next to Mardu Vehicles and Teamer Reclamation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, which gives you an idea. The thing about Authority, it's actually insanely good against goblins. Mm, it shuts off the Muxus turn? Yep, the Muxus turn is really ugly compared to what they're used to. 
and then you get another turn to interact. I suppose the life gain could be kind of key as well, right? If your opponent's making a billion one ones and you're just gaining a life for each one of them, could be kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, until they attack you, until they all so, become yeah, three threes. Three threes like, yeah. Well, that's that's why I'm, you know, because they also run four cage in the sideboards and three wrath of God. Yeah. So, like, are you and three wrath are you of God. really bringing in like like seven? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like three authority and four cage against these goblin stacks. That seems kind of extreme to me. Well, you got to do something. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> the seasoned Hollow Blade isn't looking particularly no. sharp in that matchup, and I don't know how much time you have for search for his contest. So there's five cards I think I could easily cut. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Maybe that's just it. Maybe it's also that you have these cards in your main deck that are just laughable against goblins, and you just need to freaking get them out of there, right? So yeah, that's a really exciting deck. I would love it if this deck showed up in the championship. I feel like there's a lower likelihood of that happening because I just feel like pro players tend to avoid decks such as this. I don't know. I would be surprised if there weren't some amount of Godfarrow's gift strategies just because it's something that not as many people are preparing for. I You talked about preparing for the meta from reading Twitter and listening to podcasts. I think that people are gearing up for a fight between Rakdos Sacrifice, Goblins, and Yasharn. Yeah. And with and Auras and Auras and Godfarrow's Gift are two decks that I think just decide we're going to play a different kind of game. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if people went that route. Yeah, it's true. It's it's like a nice sidestep in the meta. Okay, last major archetype I wanted to cover before we kind of wrap this up is the, the Gandalf, right? So we had a Gandalf make their way into the top eight. Azorius Control by Lucas Honey. Now, I know that Crokey's has been playing Azorius and Historic lately and seems to be kind of excited about it. I wouldn't call him excited about it. Oh, really? It. He, he, said he, he said he's quit magic forever after he won a match with it because he thought it was so obnoxious oh, okay. and terrible. So maybe, maybe, he was disappointed in himself. Maybe I, maybe I caught him at the wrong moment or something. Yeah, I, I have not been super excited about these like straight-up control decks in Historic. It just They just seem a bit too slow, a little bit too deadly. And frankly, Teferi Hero of Dominaria is just not quite the top end it used to be. I, one thing I do remember Crokey's saying is he resolved a Teferi and his opponent resolved a Nyssa and he was looking <laughs> at the table and being like, one of these Planeswalkers isn't like the other. He's pretty down on the on the Teferi-Nyssa matchup in the head-to-head. Do you want to just give us any analysis as a seasoned Gandalf on this deck and how you think it's favored or, or disfavored in the matter? I love blue-white control decks. And I've said this before about historic blue-white control, and I'll say it again. I I would probably, if I were playing a tournament like this, I would try to make it work because it's in my nature to do so. But this is not a format I want to try to control. It It's 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 out of control. It You have to have a matchup that not only you believe in, but feels really good. And then on top of that, you have to deal with all the other things in the format. I just don't see it, and I think that there's a lot, there's a lot to worry about. I playing counter spells, for example. I again, I'm playing against Rakdos. Am, am I going to censor their turn to Scrap Heap Scrounger? I guess, I guess. But then the next turn, they play a Stitcher Supplier and bring it back on my end step for free, dodging my Wrath of God and. I just don't, I don't see it um, against 
against the Nissa deck. You're just constantly dealing with Uro and Hydroid Crisis, and how do you deal with those things? This deck plays Shark Typhoon, and that's your win con. It doesn't it doesn't seem like tapping six mana for a Shark Typhoon or cycling one is any good against a deck like Goblins. You can go down the list, and you can look at every card in the deck, and you can say, yeah, but it's so weak in this in matchup XYZ. And it's so bad in this spot. And it's so bad in this spot. And of course, that's what sideboarding is. You can tech your deck out for game two, but it just, I, I'd be surprised if there's a game one where we're actually favored. It's like we have to have the right cards in every spot at every time. And I, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Well, and it's interesting. You look at cards like like Cast Out, they're playing four of in the main, Baffling End, they're playing three of in the main. You're thinking, well, you know, surely that must be in there to answer Oro or, you know, to answer Nissa or whatever. And it's like, yes, that is, those are the kind of cards that you're answering with these spells but if you think about it you're just like you're down a card right it's like they got a 3-3 out of the equation and your cast out just took out that nissa you know if you baffling end your opponent's oro they got a card out of it so it's really not a sustainable way to tackle these other you know these these harder to deal with opposing permanents yeah full agree i i wouldn't i i would try to make it work but man we're we're missing to fairy you know yep. what I mean? The, yep. the three Tef, mana to fairy. Tef three. It, it would be interesting to see if Tef three would still be considered too powerful in this format. You know, in oh, light yeah. of all the other things that are happening. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that card is messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess still one of the reasons why Azorius has played in Pioneer, right? Because it's still legal there. All right, CGB. Well, in conclusion on the historic format, uh, I think that you summed it up pretty well. I think that these sacrifice lists definitely seem to be kind of at the top of the heap. And so how you approach the format seems to be like, yeah, maybe you're playing Sultai and you feel like you have some good answers to that. Or maybe you're playing one of these Auras decks and you're just trying to like be faster than them or gain enough life or just kind of go over the top of them quickly enough that it doesn't matter. But that's what I would think about like going into this tournament is, do I want to play a sack deck? And if I don't want to play a sack deck, like what do I feel like lines up the best against them? So I, I kind of agree with your assessment. It seems like goblins, sacrifice lists, Sultai slash four color lists are definitely like kind of my, my top three in the meta. Um, and then the other lists are just kind of, you know, trying to sidestep or... Uh, or just like try to gain a slight edge from people not being as prepared for your list. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm with that. Cool. Um, also, gruel, no, notable lack of gruel. So I, I don't. We don't need to talk more about that. But I just think it's interesting that the reintroduction of burning tree emissary has not been sufficient to bring gruel back up into the historic magic game. Anyway, in these tournaments, I'm sure it's all over the place on the on the ladder. All right. Moving to standard CGB. So, yeah, I'm excited to dive into standard a little bit and get your takes on what's happening there. All right, so the first one up is Gruel Adventures, and it feels like the last time we checked in on standard, at least the last time I remember, like, really 
getting hyped to watch a tournament. Girl Adventures just seemed like it was going to be the runaway deck of the format. It had become between 25 and 40% of most tournaments. Again and again, we saw these numbers for Gruel Adventures that started to imply that nothing could compete with it, especially once they figured out the sideboard plan of a bunch of Oxes, a bunch of Vivians, the Akroan War, right? This go big, best mid-range deck in the format sideboard plan that many decks couldn't beat. But this is why this format, since the Omnath ban, is so great, because so many decks figured it out and adjusted, and they began to prey on Gruel Adventures. And Gruel Adventures, actually, the last time I did a Meta Monday show, I didn't do one this week. Yeah, I had to record something. So the week before that, we looked at a tournament and where Gruel Adventures was one of those decks that was represented, like, 30% of the field, had a 39% win rate. Yikes. I mean, that's not best deck in the format behavior, right? No. That's that, that shows that people could fix it. And then you look at the decks that were on top of that tournament, and it's big, red, Iron Craig Fee Ugin, Teamer Ramp, uh, Mono Green Food. You know, the, these decks that I think a lot of people wrote off several weeks before that came all the way back around. So where Gruel is at now is it has all these decks that keep presenting things that has trouble killing. The Teamer deck, it has to kill all these Terror of the Peaks and it has to worry about Genesis Ultimatum if it gets into those long mid-range games post-board. Mono Green Food, just Wicked Wolf and Troll King, just smacking, smacking their creatures around. And Demir Control has really risen up just being this deck that has run so many removal spells. And the biggest thing I found as a control mage dealing with Gruel Adventures is if they never untap with a Lovestruck Beast, Bonecrusher Giant, or Mammoth, a creature that lets them play the Henge or play Embercleave and hit you really hard, if they can never untap with one of those, they have a really hard time getting traction in the game. So they're actually vulnerable to just a kill-it-all scorched earth, destroy every three-mana creature that moves attack. And that's what several decks have figured out. Uh, Doom Foretold did that for a few weeks too before people figured out how to pick on Doom Foretold. So let me just let me ask you on, on one angle there. Um, I feel sure. like the secret weapon against decks like Demir Control in the past for these eventualists has been the innkeeper. Is that mm-hmm. Have they figured out a way to kind of get around that? Just more removal, dude. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> just kill more, it all. <laughs> more. Just kill it all. No, we're, we were looking at Demir Controllists running four Blood Chiefs Thirst, mm-hmm. several Heartless Acts and Eliminates, Murderous Rider, wow. Essence Scatter, four Extinction Events, and two Shadows Verdicts. Wow. Kill it Shadows all. Shadows Verdict making its appearance in Standard. Yeah, uh, really good against rogues taking out their graveyard. Really good against Croxa if anybody dares bring that deck to a tournament anymore. And remind me, does Shadow's Verdict even hit Clothis? It uh, only if it's only turned if it's on alive. or in the graveyard. Yes. Okay, okay, got it. Yeah. So the the approach on Clothis, I think that the best find there is you're seeing more essence scatters okay, all over the so place. Just don't yep. let it come down. Count. Yeah, counter it on the stack. Yep. Yeah, yeah, got it. Okay, yeah, awesome. Gruel Adventures, people seem to be targeting it pretty well. Does it have answers to that, or is it kind of folding? Like, is Gruel Adventures just saying, okay, you got me, I can't really handle all of this hate? It's an intrinsically super powerful deck. It does have answers 
but it's what it needs now is if there are decks built around Ugin Gen- and Genesis Ultimatum and Wicked Wolf and killing every single thing that moves. Gruel Adventures need something to start beating up on those decks and punishing them for the way that they are built because those aren't fast decks and they have tons and uh, in the case of like the control decks there's tons of spot removal which was something remember not that long ago we couldn't do that in standard because cards like Uro and Omnath just laughed at spot removal because they got ahead every time they played something so something needs to punish decks with a lot of spot removal historically speaking that's control decks but then um yeah it the ramp deck i think is in a good position to do that but basically these decks need to start cannibalizing each other so that they have to start trimming the removal spells and trimming the cards that make gruel miserable and then gruel can come out swinging the ember cleave again and catch them unaware so it it's a rotation that needs to happen i think where we're at right now it's really close to where Gruul is just a deck you can play in this tournament because people have to respect other decks again, which they didn't have to do two or three weeks ago. But now that we know what those other decks are, people are starting to work it out. Um, Food, Teamer Ramp, Demir Control to me are the big ones. And, uh, you know, another lurker, which is Demir Rogues. Yeah, I mean, like, because here's the thing. You can't, you can't build a main deck it's hard for me to imagine building a main deck that is excellent against gruel and against rogues at the same time right yeah yeah so esper esper doom did that and then the other decks took off and esper doom became bad (laughs) okay so yeah like there was one week where esper doom was arguably the best choice because it did exactly that what pick on rogues and adventures for one week yeah yeah that makes sense to me so yeah, so it does seem like yeah, little little rock paper scissors ing coming into the standard format here, which I think is a good thing. You know, it's it, it forces you to really respect the field. Do we want to move on to the next deck, or did you have more to say about Gruel Adventures? I I think Gruel Adventures is a really good choice, and I think it's going to turn out to be somewhere between fifteen to twenty percent of the meta because I think that a lot of people will come to the conclusion that the rest of the top level decks need to be respected and that leaves room for gruel to do its thing yeah so i I want i want to talk about rogues rogues is such an interesting deck in this format because if you ask a casual magic player they'll say that rogues is broken and needs to be banned and things like that it's like the most annoying deck i i did a fun i did a fun experiment where i played a rogues deck and i asked people for a thousand dislikes on the video i got five thousand dislikes on that video i've never (laughs) even had 500 dislikes before (laughs) wow so people hate this deck but honestly it's it's the new teamer adventures it came out like really hot and seemed to have all the strong cards. But then as the format goes on, people learn more and more about how to play against it and what works against it. And its card pool is a little more limited. Blue and black don't have access to removal or adjustments to absolutely everything. And the world around it becomes more powerful and more refined as people figure out how to build their decks and sideboards. And Rogues is still a very good strategy and the slower the format gets the more you see teamer ramp and demure control the more it seems like you'd want to play rogues mono green food too but all of these decks have ways to make rogues squirm 
you know? Uh, Ox of Agonis and the Great Henge are two cards that have been found that just make rogues squirm. And Feasting Troll King, there's the Great Henge in the food deck as well. Are, are big pains in the neck. Remember Chainweb Arachnir? Nobody needs yes. that anymore because they... <laughs> yeah, nobody needs Chainweb Arachnir anymore because they found much better ways to make rogues miserable. And I'm interested in playing Demir Rogues against Demir Control. That's one of those chess matches where the control deck has a bunch of removal, but Rogues also has card advantage and disruption. It seems like if Demir Control becomes popular, because a control deck should be pretty solid against the green midrange deck and the green ramp deck, which are mono green food and team ramp, it seems like that means Demir Control should be good. If Demir Control is good, is Rogues good against Demir Control? And can it come back and turn things around? And then you have the dance of, well, when rogues had to worry about Gruul Adventures, they played a bunch of Lull Mages dominations and just said, I'm stealing your things. That's not going to work on Demir Control. Their, their plan is to resolve a Shark Typhoon against you. I, right. I don't you know. just can't deal with that, right? Yeah. I, I really want to know how that matchup breaks down and what either side can do it's another it's they're the same colors with different strategies so you have mystical disputes you know maybe some hand hate weaving their way through either deck list it's really interesting i think i want to see that matchup but i think rogues might be trending it, it had trended way down rogues was like the bottom of the barrel for probably a week and a half i think it might trend up for this event i think we might see uh eight to ten percent of the meta play rogues another thing to kind of throw a wrench into this is we didn't talk about which rogues deck right so that's Luris rogues, so many of them yeah yeah the Luris the Luris rogue deck was the most popular for a while but when gruel adventures was the deck then what you did is you put Luris, you took Luris out of the equation and you ran zareth san so that you could just steal a lovestruck beast or a great henge and use it against them and that version has been popular for about two weeks, you've seen a lot more Brazen Borrowers and Zareth Sons than Luris. And I don't know what the right call is right this second. It, it seems like Zareth is still going to be very important against Gruul, which might trend up. But Zareth doesn't seem very good against Demir, where it's just Heartless Act bait. You know what I mean? It's, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious to see what happens with that because I'm not even sure which version of Rogues is the right call for the weekend. If Gruul Adventures is going to trend up, you probably want the Zareth version, and the Zareth version is also very good against the Achilles heel Troll King, if you just take their Troll King before they get a chance to bring it into the battlefield, you know, by timing your mill triggers carefully. That's pretty good. <laughs> That'll work. It's awesome. I, I just I love that Rogues is in the meta game, and I love that it's still has such a diverse diversity of options in building it just oh yeah it can really dance it it can juke it can jive it's a fun deck to play and an absolutely miserable deck to play against in every sense (laughs) i don't foresee esper doom foretold coming back i think the deck is a bit too narrow it always was this really fun really solid tap out engine deck it's still good in best of one and it's good against certain things but man you do not want to play it against Genesis Ultimatum. You don't want to play it against Feasting Troll King and the Great Henge. You don't want to play it against Ugin. 
and and so you know the the evolution of Demir Control has been to play a lot of Ashiox and Ugins, not just Shark Typhoon, which is a is a pretty strong pretty strong arm way to go about this meta when you're talking about five mana Planeswalkers and eight mana Planeswalkers. Yeah. I think uh, Mono Green Food, Teamer Ramp, and Demir Control are going to be three decks that show up in pretty solid numbers, and I have no idea what those will be. It could be, I, I think each of those is due to about 5 to 10% of the meta, and I have no idea what it should be, to be honest. Let's talk about Mono Green Food a little, because I've heard rumblings that this deck is actually like a tier one deck or one of the best decks in the format, which kind of surprised me. It did well in at least one tournament um, recently where, you know, a bunch, bunch of decks kind of in the top eight, and it seems to kind of surge up. But I, it's just such an unknown to me. It's one of the decks I have a hard time. You know, on the last podcast, I was kind of dissing it and saying that I had a hard time imagining it could really, like, be a really strong contender moving forward in the format. What do you think? Like, do you think that this deck is a tier one deck at the moment? It's it's a meta deck, but it's one of the better meta decks in a long time because it has it has a very solid matchup with Gruel, a very solid matchup with Esper, and it is a headache for the decks that I think you you could look at the Demir Rogues matchup going different ways depending on the builds. I've heard Rogues players say that they're ahead. I've always felt behind against food when I play Rogues personally. Like I I've just been. I've, I've, I've seen too many Troll Kings, but I always play the Luris version. So uh, it, that one, that matchup is close. I'm not sure about the ramp deck. It seems like Brazen Borrower and Terror of the Peak should be really good against the food deck. I would imagine that the food deck is just like a little bit too slow and a little bit too small ball to keep up with the team of ramp deck. That would be my estimation. I've been amazed, though. I, 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 in my rampage playing mono green food on Thanksgiving and recording the video the day before Thanksgiving, I played against a lot of Ugin decks, a lot of them. Okay. And I yeah. was amazed that I could beat them. Which is Oven and the Great Hench. You just keep right. bringing the king back again and again. If you ha- if you can achieve which is Oven, Troll King, and Great Hench, it it feels like they're just under pressure. And this game may take another 10 turns because they're using Maze Mind Tome and they're drawing cards and they're playing an extinction event to hold you off another turn while plussing their Ugin. And then they get their Ugin to like nine, but they have to minus it because you built a board again and you just keep replaying the freaking Troll Kings and more threats every turn. It might take 10 turns, but you're just waiting. You're just waiting for the one turn where they draw three lands in a row and their Ugin has too little loyalty to deal with the whole board, and then it's just over. You can just smash them to pieces. Well, and one of the things I do like about the food deck is if you're trying to kill the food deck via damage, it's kind of a laughable thing to do, right? They're like, great, you did me 10 with your little Terror of the Peaks combo. I have seven food in play, <laughs> like, and a great henge, you know, like, cute, cute damage, bro. Oh, yeah, it, it can be laughable if you get going, 100%. I feel like you really do need to win the board to beat these mono food decks. I feel like it's it's pretty unlikely that you're going to just kind of get them out of nowhere, right? Just like put a bunch of damage on the table and, and you know, swing the game in one big turn. I feel like you have to get pretty lucky or you have to really outplay your food opponent to do that. 
I agree with that. Yeah. I, so is the deck tier one is what you led with. If Gruul is still very, very popular, I think so. If Gruul actually takes a vacation at the tournament, then food is still a good deck, but there is a, a serious lack of agency in it if your Wicked Wolf isn't actively dominating. You know what I mean? Because you don't have much removal or ways to deal with the opponent's things. And if they, for example, kill your Henge and they're not afraid of your Wicked Wolf and they hit an extinction event and they're prepared for Witch's Oven, it, sometimes it does feel like you're just not doing anything with the food deck and you can't really deal with your opponent's creatures or their board. So I, it's interesting. I'm really curious to see how many people play this deck and where it falls. I, I think of William, uh, Willie Adel, you know, a uh, Brazilian Hall of Famer pro who just always likes these like green creature decks. I bet he loves this deck. <laughs> I, when I look at this mono green deck, it, it, like its place in the meta actually kind of reminds me of the mono green aggro deck in the, in the pre-rotation format, where to me it seems like strong and good and top eightable but i have a hard time imagining it like really consistently taking down tournaments so so you're coming around is what you're saying soon we'll be doing the food (laughs) well i guess what i'm saying is that i was always a champion of the mono green aggro deck because i thought it was an underdog deck that could top eight right i was never the person waving the flag of like this deck can actually win the biggest tournaments i just really liked the fact that i felt like it was skirting tier one on its really good days and i also liked the fact of that you could really make deep cuts into high mythic with a deck like that and i kind of feel like the power level of this mono green food deck seems similar like it seems like it's a respectable deck you're not going to get laughed out of the room and it can place very, very high and make deep runs into tournaments. But it would just surprise me if this was like actually a number one deck at any point in the format. I think I would agree with that. I'm, I would also say between Mono Green Food, Gorilla Adventures, and the Team of Ramp deck that we'll probably have time for a few words for. We're talking about like three of the top five or six decks that have this core of Lovestruck Beast, Kazandu Mammoth, and three-ish copies of the Great Henge. Like, they all threaten to just take over the game with the Great Henge. So, whoever is playing this tournament, you gotta answer the Henge. I mean, somebody who can reliably just keep a Henge from happening, like, that is, Henge is a big commitment to have in your deck if you can't get it online easily. It can make your draws very clunky if the opponent has good ways to stop it. So it's kind of interesting to see three different strategies that use the Henge both as a way to straight up win the game if left unanswered, but also as a sort of decoy to the other thing that they're going to do. You have to deal with the Henge, but even if you do, you might get Ember Cleaved out of Gruel Adventures, you might get Troll Kinged a few times out of the Monogreen Food, and you'll probably get Genesis Ultimatum Terror of the Peaked out of Team Ramp. Yeah, I definitely, you can see these spots where let's say you're playing a card like Elspeth Conquers Death, right? And you're like, okay, do I hit the Henge or do I hit the Troll King? Oh my god, yeah. Oh, it's the worst. I spend my life doing this. <laughs> Neither of those options feels great when you have to deal with both of them, so. 
Yeah, that's why Yorian is like the the only solution is to have the Yorian in your hand after yep. you play the, the Elspeth Gawker's death. But uh, speaking of Yorian, once the Lord and Sky Noodle Savior of the format, I don't think it's even anywhere near the top right now because even what I just talked about, Yorian and Elspeth Conqueror's death, it's I think it's just too slow. Yeah. Like you can't just take an epic beating from all those creatures while dealing with the henge. It's so awkward. Well, and you've just got things like like Omen of the Sun is laughable against a trample creature, right? Um, it's laughable oh, yeah. against flyers. It just seems like, a, you know, it's laughable against Embercleave. So it just seems like a lot of the actual real problems that you want to be blocking with your dorky little tokens, they're just not doing anything for you. And so, yeah, if you're not just maintaining like a iron grasp over the game, if you're not just keeping up every step of the way, you could easily just fall behind with these Yorian lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, full agree. Also, the other thing I learned playing mono green food for a few days, green has all the good card draw, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> They've got this, they got this artifact that just sits on the battlefield and draws you a card for free every time you play a creature and makes mana. They've got this one mana creature that just draws a card for every good creature you play. <laughs> They've got this Genesis ultimatum that draws five cards and casts some of them for free. Like, like, what are we doing? Yeah, what happened? What are we doing trying to draw cards with blue? I, my Yorian <laughs> deck just runs out of gas, you know? I've got, like, two cards in my hand. They've got seven, and they have a full board. Nice shatter the sky, control player. Good work. Yeah, especially since it's, like, you look at these decks, they invest three mana to play a creature, and then the next turn they invest four mana to play their henge, and then for the entire rest of the game, they are just popping off, right? Whereas in these Yorian decks, like you have to invest a whole heck load of mana into casting all of these card draw spells, and then you have to resolve your five mana Yorian on a turn where you can actually afford to essentially take a turn off right to to kind of reap the benefits of all of your omen of the seas and your treacherous blessings and sometimes you just there's just not a good window to do that especially if you had to pay three mana to get the dang yorian into your hand in the first place so i do feel like if you just look at the kind of mana to card advantage ratio it doesn't start to get into your favor in the yorian deck until the extreme late game Whereas, you know, a lot of these green decks are like, they're just popping off, drawing a billion cards, like as soon as turn four or five. So yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah. Uh, green, probably still best color, despite lack of Oko, Omnath, and Uro. Probably still the card advantage color of choice. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I'm curious to go a little bit more in depth on this Demir control thing, because out of all of these lists that we're looking at, this is kind of the archetype I feel like the least familiar with or like the least equipped to really talk intelligently about. So can you just briefly kind of take me through the important cards in these Demir control lists and like, you know, just your thoughts on how the deck's positioned in the matter? Sure. I'm... There's been a few different builds going around, and the one you have here has four Shark Typhoons in the main with two Ashiok and two Ugins. I've seen a lot of builds with all the Shark Typhoons in the board and 
Ashiox and Ugins in the main, uh, just depending what kind of meta you want to mess with. If you're expecting to get attacked a lot, if Gruul is the thing, Shark Typhoon is very slow and clumsy against them, whereas the Planeswalkers have immediate impact. So uh, I think that's what we're looking at here. With Shark Typhoon coming back into the main deck, we're saying that we don't expect as much Gruul. We want to torture the Rogue's decks, and we also want to never tap out when our opponent might cast a Genesis Ultimatum, something like that. So those are, those are some of the key things to notice first. My favorite thing about these decks, quite honestly, is that it's a Maze Mind Tome deck. I was going <laughs> to say, I, I, love just, that card. I just feel like you couldn't even ever play a deck like this in standard right now without maze mind tome right you need the card advantage yeah and you'd need the draw smoothing because these control decks need the right cards in the right place at the right time the brain book makes it happen is, is really what it's all about yeah and it, and that little life bump gaining four yes. or eight or even 12 life in a game can really keep you hanging on right uh-huh a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I. It's funny because I'm looking at this list and I see the power, but I feel like this just this feels like such a like fifty one percent win rate kind of a deck to me. Like it, it's hard for me to imagine a deck like this, like being really consistently strong without being piloted by like an absolute master. But maybe I'm just you know I just haven't played games with the deck and i'm kind of missing some of the finer points of of how powerful it is but like do you do you think that this deck has what it takes to be like a consistently high percentage deck yeah but you have to have a good read on your meta this Mm. is a season to taste 75 because we're looking at brandon peterson's list from an scg tour satellite and You're seeing cards that a week ago you didn't see in the main. We talked about the Shark Typhoon thing already, but remember when I said there were four Extinction Events and two Shadows Verdicts? Here there's three Extinction Events, but if you look at that sideboard, it still has one more Extinction Event and two Shadows Verdicts. This list isn't expecting as much Gruul, is expecting a lot of sort of other decks, but is ready to shift back into full kill-em-all strategy where necessary. So it's it's about the rage you get on the meta, I think, 100%. It's going to pay you back in your win rate with this deck. The Brazen Borrowers in the main, that is a nod to other people having Shark Typhoons. It's sort of teched for the Mirror, I think. Like, the Mirror and Teamer Ramp. Mm. When I look at three Negates and three Neutralize, like, you really don't want those if Gruul is everywhere, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Three main deck Negate can really bite you in some matchups. The other part that I'm looking at and just want to remind people about crawling barons is a legitimate win con. <laughs> mm. Yes. There's actually decks that can't deal with that at all. I'm so glad to see this card showing up in constructed formats. Cause I remembered seeing it in the spoiler and just thinking like that cards going places, man. And so I remember you, Oh, I'm sorry. Did I was just going to say, this barons? seems like maybe one of the better decks to put it in, too, because this is definitely a leave-up mana kind of a deck for a lot of the game, right? Yes. Yeah. Sort of. That's so, so you're, you're, le- you're leading me right where I want to go, because Great. you talked about it's a leave-up mana kind of deck, but you also said, does it have the power? I'm going to send you a deck that won the standard challenge on MTGO and Discord. I want you to open it and tell me what you see. It's also Demir and could be categorized as control. 
And I think it's going to blow your mind to see the extremes that you can take this deck in. <laughs> okay. Ooh, I'm excited. Yeah, just scroll down to the very first deck. It's the, the first place build. All right, so I'm seeing, ooh, some some of my pet cards in this deck, right? It's running two Ashiok's, four Ugins, the full four. It's running three Atris, four Solemn Simulacrums, uh, four Extinction Event, which is a pretty big deal. So yeah, this is yeah, this is definitely more of a tap out deck going on here. Yeah, um, Elspeth's Nightmare, Omen of the Sea, four Maze Mind Tome. It also still has four Neutralize, four Jawari Disruption, two Negate, and two Essence Scatter. How does it fit it all in, Arjun? I'll tell you. <laughs> it's a Yorian deck! <laughs> oh, it's a Yorian deck? I missed that. That's it's amazing. It's a Yorian deck, too. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. a Ramp Planeswalker Counterspell deck. I. When, when you see it in this form, do you see what I mean? It has four Crawling Barons. Yeah. Do you see what I mean about the power? Like, yeah. you can ratchet up the power. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, I, I'm i so happy to see Solemn Simulacrum getting some play in Standard because it's just such a sweet card. And with Yarian, I love it. Love it. I would be, I would be shocked if this style of build was played in the tournament because... Pro players, MPL members, and Rivals members, they love a lot more, I guess you would say, agency. They love cards like Shark Typhoon. They love more of a draw-go style. They yeah. don't like tapping four mana for a sorcery speed card like a Solemn Simulacrum nearly as much as they might have several years ago. But I, I just wanted to show you the extremes you might see in Demir. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty epic. I yeah, and any any deck that runs Atris is definitely gonna get my my attention going there, dude. Atris into Yorion, dude. Hey man, go for the ride. Let's go. Let's go. So okay, so let me ask you. It seems I feel like we're kind of moving towards wrapping up here. What would you be sleeving up for this tournament if you were playing in it? Ooh, well, hmm. If I, my mission was to do my very best. Yeah, if you had to set aside I'm going like, for the money the CGB ethos and just like be the player that you would need to be to have the best chance to win the tournament, what what would you be sleeping up? I do think that Gruel is going to be back on the rise, so it's about how I want to kill it. <laughs> okay. So, uh for me it's not about playing Gruel. It's rarely about playing the best deck, especially if it's aggressive. It's always about how I want to kill it. So for me, I think that I would I think Demir control would be my playstyle and I would never feel bad playing that deck but I think mono green food is a better call if you're going to hard target that that as the winner's metagame. So, if you're certain about your read and you think that Gruel is still going to be over 20% of the meta, I think that mono green food is the best deck to pick. Mm, okay. Yeah. It's interesting because, like, for me, the Arjuna ethos would be on running Teamer Ramp. That's definitely the most me style of deck out of all of these decks here. But I actually don't, I would not sleeve that up for this tournament. I think it's a powerful deck, and it, it took down the, what was it, the CFB Pro Challenge, I want to say. Um, so definitely a, a deck that can get there. 
But I just feel like Teamer Ramp is a little bit too easy to exploit. Um, and I feel like it's a bit too swingy. It's lacking some of these cards that I think have smoothed out ramp in the past, such as Nissa, right? Cards that can just end up being an alternate win con or kind of get out of jail free cards like uh, Krasis. So yeah, that wouldn't be my first place to go. I honestly, if I were going to play in this tournament, I think I would... It's actually interesting. I think I would probably choose a Demir strategy. I'd probably just go for one of the Rogues deck. I still think that like Rogues is very strong. Um, and I just think that it has the tools to fight on so many different axes. And maybe it's getting spread a little thin now, trying to keep up with all of these different archetypes. But I don't know. I just I think Rogues is still a very, very strong deck that could easily take down a tournament. I think that's a good choice because I think the nastiest predators for rogues like Esper Doom for Told Mono Red Aggro and Rakdos Midrange, I don't think those are going to be popular at all. Yeah. Yep. That's that's my thought too. I feel like here's the thing, I feel like rogues can hang in a winner's matter. That's what I feel mm -hmm. like. Whereas I feel like some of these other decks are like you know, the kind of decks that can make day two, the kind of decks that can make top eight, but which might get a little bit picked apart by like you know, like a level three deck played by a really good player. What would you play in Historic? Yeah, what would I play in Historic? Man, if I really wanted to win... Yeah, it's boring, but it probably would be Sultai. Wow. I thought... So, I... I, I feel like our roles are totally reversed this week because I would flip a coin for Rakdos or Blue-White Auras. <laughs> I like. I, I think they're both so powerful and proactive, and they both have this weird tension between each other, where it's like Auras can't beat Priest, but Goblins can't beat Mayhem Devil, but Rakdos can't beat like can just kind of get run over. I, Hushbringer uh, is a card, you know, and uh, Yasharn is a card. So I don't know, man. I I feel like Rakdos is probably the deck I would pick like the absolute sweatiest choice i just know that i wouldn't be able to pilot it you know i it's just i i'm i'm no croakies you know what i mean so i feel like that the salt eye the four color is i'm not saying it's a less skill intensive deck by any means it actually in some ways you know has its own share of difficult decisions but i just think i'd be a little bit better suited to pilot that deck and i do think it can go all the way yeah i i hear you on the rakdos thing i'm terrible at playing anything with a claim the firstborn in it we've we've all been there suffice it to say very very high skill ceiling for the deck all right well those are our hot takes for the tournament i hope that you guys tune in i know that cgb and i definitely will be and we'll be excited to discuss it the next time we're able to do so so yeah take it on out this podcast is brought to you by Arjuna and Covert Go Blue, the Arena Craft podcast. You can find us basically everywhere you might want to. We're on Spotify or on most of the, probably all of the podcast platforms. We are on YouTube. Go ahead and give us a comment in the YouTube comments if you feel like, you know, we're flagrantly missing important aspects of the matter that you wanted to hear discussed on the show. I really enjoy that kind of feedback, actually. Not an invitation for abuse, but definitely an invitation for you to tell us what's working and what's not. Uh, Covert Go Blue, on the other hand, doesn't want to hear your crap. So don't... <laughs> don't go hassle. He's right. 
don't go hassle him on his YouTube, but do go and watch his YouTube, CGB, Kovac Go Blue, happening on the YouTube. And you can also watch him stream Monday through Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern time. All right, CGB, have a rockin' weekend, and I'll catch you next time. Later. But uh, the, the Spec- three decks I really... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no you. go ahead. Yeah. No, no, you. <laughs> I I was just going to make some bullshit comment that I'm probably going to edit out, so... <laughs> oh, okay. Well, totally we have to keep this you. in. Like, like, we can't we can't take that out. People need to know. They need to know the truth. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the truth but, about uh, Arjuna.